Hey guys, welcome to our weekend worship service. We are excited to get to worship together. We're excited that you're here with us as well. And a couple things as we get started. First of all, man, we wanna encourage you to make sure that you have the North Point app on your uh, mobile device or tablet. It's the best way to follow along and interact with our weekend services. You can uh, check out this week's talk for notes for the sermon and uh, notes that you can take. There's also sermon-based questions that you can do with your life group. You'll also find on the app different material for families to participate uh, in a kids lesson this weekend, as well as a way to give electronically. You can also use the Connect tab there to let us know that you participated, that you're with us this weekend so we can check in and say hello. Uh, the other thing that we want to encourage you to do is be sure to follow us on Facebook. Man, every single week, uh, not only do we post the talk or the weekend service, but we also have encouraging videos. Uh, we've got a prayer meeting and live worship sessions. It's really the best way to stay connected and get to interact with us and for us to be able to get interact with you. So uh, be sure to have the North Point app ready to go and be sure to follow us on Facebook as well. Uh, right now, we're just going to jump into some worship together. So we'll toss it over to Jamie. Deserve it. 
so good to be here worshiping with you all once again. I just want to take a quick second and ask you to pull out your phones and open up the North Point app. Go ahead and scroll down just a little ways and you'll see a section that says let's connect. If you can just take a second and fill that out and let us know that you're here worshiping alongside us today. If you scroll down a little bit further you'll see a section in there that talks about if you want more information about anything going on at North Point. Feel free to check some of those boxes and we'll be in touch with you. And then if you scroll all the way down to the bottom, you'll see a section about making commitments. If you've made a commitment to ask Jesus into your life, or if you've made a recommitment to Jesus during these last few weeks, please click those boxes and let us know. We would love to celebrate that with you. So I know the last week has been kind of crazy and just the last several weeks, but really in this last week, I have felt this sense of restlessness going around, uh, of people just not, uh, just kind of ready to move on. And I just want to encourage you as we jump into our last song that you just take a second, whether you are singing along or if you're just going to sit and close your eyes, but to really sit and reflect on the words and the lyrics and just to sit in the peace of knowing who God is and how great and awesome he truly is.
to God a portion of what he has given you is one of the most powerful ways that you can strengthen your faith in God. And I can't think of a better time than the uncertain times that we're living in right now to test God in how he does that. So whether you give through our website, through our app on the Give tab, or by mailing it in, please know that God is going to use what you give to impact people in our community in powerful, powerful ways. 
that will show his love to them. And by giving back to God and trusting him with what he's given you, please know that you are going to be impacted as well. He is going to grow your faith and trust in him. And during the times that we are living in right now, I can't think of a better person than God as to where we're going to place our faith and trust. So thank you in advance for how you give. And I can't wait to see what God is going to do with it. Thanks so much, Amy. Hey, there are a couple things I forgot to tell you to tell everybody, so I'm just going to tell you now, all right? Uh, the first is this. Next Sunday, we're going to do a special offering, a second offering, our benevolence offering. Um, it, we'll, we'll talk through that next week, but uh, if you can be thinking about that, that would be great. We want to be able to have uh, this, the ability to help meet some financial needs. If you have financial needs, we want you to let us know because we want to be the body and help take care of that. The second thing is this, down at the bottom of the notes for the message today, there's a link to a, a special event about uh, dealing, with, dealing with fear at this point in time that's, that's uh, being sponsored by the Global Leadership Summit. I hope you'll take part in that. It happens on May 5th during lunchtime. Um, if you register for it and can't meet at that time, you can watch it for the next three days after that. It's going to be great. I'm, I'm going to be a part of that, that uh, seminar, and I, that's something that I hope that you can be a part of too. I'm ready to go in and to pull out God's Word and to share together. Let's go there now. you have your keys, Tim? A number of years ago, I heard Tony Evans speak at a conference that I was a part of, and he talked about changing the world. Tony Evans is the pastor at Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship in Dallas, Texas. Uh, he's a tremendous speaker. And uh, I, I remember this talk, even though it was over 30 years ago, I guess, because he said, it's easy to change the world if, if you really want to. And, and I remember him saying, how do you change the world? Well, it's easy. If you want to change the world, you need to start by changing one nation at a time. That makes good sense. He said, if you want to change a nation, you've got to, you've got to uh, go beyond that and begin to change one state at a time, one, one smaller governmental area within that nation to change that nation. If you want to change that state for us, how do you do that? You change a city. If you want to change a city, how do you do that? You change it one community at a time within the city. If you want to change that community how do you do that if you want to change the world? Well, you start by changing that community one family at a time. How do you change one family at a time? You start by changing yourself. None of us have the ability to, to create change in us, in and of our, ourselves, but Jesus in us can change us dramatically. He can transform us. He can do the work um, for the world to change. It all depends on you. It all depends on me. It, it's funny because right now in the middle of the, of, of the COVID crisis, that's kind of what everybody says, right? That's what the president says, what the governor says. Everybody says, hey, if we're going to get through this, it's going to be because individually we make the right choices one at a time. That's not what we're talking about today. What we're talking about today is the power that God gives us to change the world 
and that, that power is through the church. This is actually the power of the church part two. Uh, if you didn't catch last week, go back and, and uh, get that again from Ephesians chapter three. But this is really kind of an extension of that message. Everything that we've talked about in the book of Ephesians so far, the, the first three chapters, has really kind of been foundational. It's laid, it's laid the, the um, foundation for what we're going to talk about in the next few chapters. It, it goes from theoretical to very practical. It goes from theological to, to how we live that out on a daily basis. So if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open those up. If you've got the North Point app, man, be sure and open that up uh, so that you can follow through. There's some things there that will really help you and, and give you a chance to think through conversations that you can have with your life group or your family after this is over. Beginning in, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, it says this. Paul says, as a prisoner for the Lord... I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over all, of all, who is over all and through all. And in all, Paul says, I want you to live a life worthy of the calling that you've received. You've been chosen. You've been adopted. You've, uh, you've been and you are being changed by Jesus living in you. And you're a part of God's bigger plan for the world and his bigger plan for the church. You need to live worthy of that calling. Living worthy of the calling, what, what's that look like? What's that about? It, that starts with us understanding the calling that we have from God, that God has chosen us to be a part of the kingdom. What's that calling look like? It means that we live a life that's fully yielded to Jesus, that where he uh, directs, where he pushes, where he nudges, where he, uh, where he shows light, that we allow him to make those changes in our lives. We let him call the shots. Um, what's it like to be called by God? What's that look like? It means that we live holy lives. It means that we live lives that are, that are governed by the fruit of the Spirit. They're evidenced by the fruit of the Spirit. Um, the, the great world conqueror, Alexander the Great, uh, there's a story that's told about him that, that you may have heard before. Uh, it's a story that I love. Apparently one night when, when Alexander the Great was sleeping, he, he, he was in his tent, he couldn't sleep that night. And so, uh, so he got up and just walked around and he walked to the edge of the camp and he found the guard who was on duty uh, that was supposed to be protecting uh, the, the army. He had fallen asleep. It was a custom at that time that if a guard fell asleep on duty, that he would be killed immediately. Uh, one of the things that often happened was that the commander would just throw kerosene on that guard while he slept, light a match, uh, and, and that, that soldier that had shirked his duty uh, would be consumed by, by the fire. Alexander the Great um, nudged this soldier, woke him up, and immediately the soldier realized, realized what had happened, and he was, he was afraid for his life. And, um, and Alexander the Great said to this soldier, Soldier, what's your name? And he said, Alexander. And Alexander the Great said, What did you say your name was? And he said, Alexander, sir. And he, 
the story is told that Alexander the Great got, got very angry and said, soldier, what is your name? And he said, Alexander, sir. And Alexander the Great turned to him and said, soldier, either change your name or change your conduct. We have a calling from God. We, God has called us to live a different kind of life. And we need to fulfill that calling. We need to live out that calling. We, we're called to be a, 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 a Christian, a mini Christ. If Jesus was willing to die for you, you need to respond and you need to accept that sacrifice. You don't have to live up to that sacrifice in order to be accepted. It's not something that we earn, but because Jesus has sacrificed himself for us. We live in a, in a way, we live a life that's worthy of the calling that he's given us. Practically, what does that look like? It looks like uh, uh, the, the scripture that says it right there uh, describes several traits that are a part of what that calling looks like. Humility, uh, gentleness, patience, bearing with, with one another. They're all right there. Um, uh, don't forget, humility wasn't a virtue in humanity until Jesus came. Up to that point in time, no one wanted to be humble. There was no benefit to being humble. Everyone aspired to power and greatness and arrogance. But Jesus set the pace and showed us what it looks like to be humble and gentle and patient. Uh, You know, those traits, I think there is some very clear application for us at this time, in this setting, where where we're so frustrated with being home and not being able to do some of the things that that we like to do, that we want to do, that we wish we could do. Live a life worthy of the calling that God has given you. Be patient, be gentle, be humble, bear with each other. And, and finally, have a unity that comes from a bond of peace. Um, in this passage of Scripture in, in, uh, in Ephesians 4, you'll see that word unity at least two different times. This concept that we are, that the power of God is shown through us. It's shown through our lives and thro- shown through our church through unity. Um, a trademark of people who follow Jesus is that there is this spirit of uni- unity. Not uniformity, not that every, everything is exactly the same, but there's this spirit of unity that comes because of our commitment to Scripture. I, I love, uh, one of the things that I love about North Point is that we're a, a church that's, that's guided and guarded by Scripture. We go to Scripture to determine uh, what God would have us do, and we find unity in going to Scripture. We may land in different places, but our unity comes from Scripture being our authority. Paul says, you know what, in that unity that gets lived out as, as one body, that, that we're one church, like we talked about last week, that it's not, it's not uh, Riverview or Redeemer or uh, Trinity or, or whoever, at North Point. We're one body. Uh, we have one spirit that lives in us, the Holy Spirit. As followers of Jesus, his spirit lives in us. We have one hope in the resurrection and the return of Jesus. We have one Lord. It's Jesus. He, uh, he is our one Lord. We can't have the same master and live in conflict, can we? When we follow Jesus, there's unity that's there. There's one faith that what Jude, uh, the, the epistle of Jude says, the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. We have one faith, one baptism. There's not multiple kinds of baptism, not infant baptism, believer's baptism, Holy Spirit baptism. There's one baptism. 
um, in the New Testament, when you read through it and you read about baptism, it really was the marker for people who said yes to Jesus. It was the way that they publicly said, I choose to follow Jesus. Man, if that's a step that you haven't taken, I would encourage you. I would encourage you even now in this context, we can set it up in this, uh, at this time, take that step to be baptized and to, and to publicly say, I'm following Jesus. We have one God, one Father of all. He is our good, good Father. There's unity for us in, in the body of Christ. Do, do you want to change the world? Do you want to experience change in yourself? Change in our community? Change in our state? It starts with living out the calling that God has given us and there being unity in the church. Verse 7 says, But to each one of us grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. So Christ, uh, down in verse 11, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Hear this, we have the power to live worthy of the calling that God has given us because Christ has given us the grace in order to be able to do so. We can live worthy of the calling because of the grace that Jesus has given to us. 2 Corinthians 5 says, If any man's in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things have passed away and new things have come. God has given us grace to change. You don't have to be locked into your personality, into your past, into all the stuff that's happened to you. Jesus wants to make you new, wants to bring about that change. Jesus has given us grace to, to bring us near to him. It's, it's like a person who, um, who experiences forgiveness and, and, and adoption into a family like you've never seen before. Down at the bottom of the notes in your app today, there's a, there's a, a video that I would love for you to watch when this, uh, when this uh, time of worship, when this service is over. There's a link there. It tells the story of... of uh, a man named Ike Brown, his son, Ike Brown Jr., and, uh, and a man named Jeff Hicks, when they were 21, both were shot to death uh, while they were playing video games in, in what seemed like a, a, a murder that just didn't make any sense. Their murderer was a man named uh, Takoya Kreiner. And, um, and Takoya Kreiner, uh, three years later in, in the, in the uh, sentencing, in the, in the trial that he went through, was found guilty of both their murders, attempted murder as well. He was sentenced to life in prison. While he was in prison, Ike Brown Sr., the man whose son had been killed, um, decided to reach out to Takoya Kreiner and, and to just extend some, some amount of forgiveness and said, if you're open to it, I would like to have a relationship with you. I, I would like to talk to you and, and maybe kind of be like a dad figure to you. That's, that's crazy, right? To reach out and love the person who killed your son. Man, that's our story. Jesus did that for us. He went to the Father on our behalf, took our punishment, and he brought us into the family even though he paid the price the gruesome death, for our sin. Grace has been given to all of us, but God has given us different gifts 
Um, you know, th- that concept is there in Scripture. We've talked about it before in the past. There are, there are several different passages of Scripture that describe the gifts. 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, both describe the, the concept that God has gifted the body in different ways. Paul says to the church in Ephesus, uh, to the first century church, Christ gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be shepherds, some to be teachers. Um, there's a lot of debate in the in the world of theology for whether those positions were limited to the first century or whether they uh, make sense in our context now or not. Um, again, in your app notes, there's a link down at the bottom of the message notes that give you a chance with your life group to just kind of do an inventory and to look at those five gifts. Apostles were, were people that were sent with a commission. They were divinely appointed representatives. We think apostles and we think the twelve. But even in the New Testament, there are more apostles named than just those 12. Uh, prophets were people who spoke the truth. Not necessarily people who um, were able to see into the future, but who spoke forth the truth of God. Evangelists, there were people who had uh, this gift of evangelism that they, would, they were able to bear the good news of Jesus uh, all around them. Shepherds were the, 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 the pastors that, that are there, were people who took care of the body, who helped people grow together, teachers, people who explained um, the word. For us in our context, let me just talk about the shepherd-pastor role. We live in a world where, where we say, oh, I'm the pastor of the church. Rick's, the, Rick's my pastor. Um, the concept that's there is so much greater. We're all called to be shepherds within the body. If you're a life group leader, you're a shepherd. Uh, if, if you're a parent, you're a shepherd to your kids. If you're working in CR in one of our recovery groups, you are a shepherd to the people who are there. Um, God gave us gifts so that the body could be unified and be one. Why did he do that? To equip people for works of service, he says, verse 12, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. We've adopted this model in the United States where we talk about, where we look at that passage and we think apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers. Oh, those are the paid professionals in the church. In the first century, those, those were the, the key leaders. And in our context, those are the people that we pay to be on staff. Hear me in this. Let me, let me just take a, 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 a rabbit trail for a second. If, if we hire professional pastors to do the work of ministry, three things are going to happen in the church. The first is that it's going to kill the professional pastors, the people who are on staff like me. It'll, at the very least, wear them out physically, emotionally, spiritually, because that's not, not how God designed the church to work. He designed the church to be a body and for us to equip people for works of ministry. The second thing that will happen is um, if we count only on the paid professionals to do the work of ministry, the church will never grow. The church will never reach the people that Jesus wants us to because it will all be dependent on on just a few. The third thing that will happen is that the church will only be filled with spiritual infants whose muscles never grow. They never grow up into Jesus. They'll never learn to drive a car. They'll never take responsibility. They'll never explore new horizons or go places that the paid professionals wouldn't go. You know, we we just had friends here at North Point have a new baby. And when a new baby comes home, 25% of their body weight 
is all in their head. Uh, when they reach um, nine months old, um, their brain has grown to half the size it will be when they're an adult. And by the time that they're two, it's grown to, the, uh, to 75% of the size that it will be when they become an adult. Um, their body's way behind. When you become a follower of Jesus, your body, you're, you're still learning. You can't stay there. You've got to grow. You've got to take those steps so that the head, so that Jesus can be lifted up and he can do his work in us. We're gifted. We receive gifts to equip the body for works of service. Jesus said, uh, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. Hear this. Parents, your job is to equip your children for works of service in the kingdom of God. In order for, for you to do that and do it well, you have to capture their hearts and not just their behavior. Life group leaders, ministry team leaders, staff members, your job is to equip people for works of service in the kingdom. In order to do that, you have to, you have to give your heart fully to Jesus. You have to capture their hearts. You have to model what it looks like to serve. You've got to empower those people that you're leading. You've got to encourage them and not just delegate tasks. Our mission as a church to help all people move toward a life fully devoted to Jesus is our way of saying the exact same thing. Grow up the body to maturity, reaching unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. How does that happen? How do we become mature? It's when the body is built up, when we experience unity in faith and in the knowledge of Jesus, as we grow together towards Jesus, as we encourage each other, as we apply scripture in our life, maturity, attaining the, the, the whole measure of the fullness of Christ comes at that point in time. When is it that you become fully mature as a follower of Jesus? You know, I've been following Jesus for a long, long time. For most of my life. When is it that we become fully mature? I think it only happens when we die, when our life here on earth ends and we see Jesus face to face in the presence of God. At that point in time, we will be fully mature. When we're mature here on earth, as we, uh, as we move towards maturity, it means that we'll experience balance and stability. Um, verse 14 says, Then we'll no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. The picture that's there is a, of this tiny ship that just gets beat by these big waves. In, the, in a storm, a tiny ship will get uh, moved all around, but an ocean liner, a cruise ship, that they're not phased by those by those waves at all, because they've grown to their full size. They can withstand that storm. Verse 15 says, Instead, speaking the truth in love, we'll grow to become, uh, to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. This, that, that phrase, speaking the truth of love, uh, uh, speaking the truth in love, is an interesting phrase. If you've been around the church for a very long time, we talk about speaking the truth. I need to speak the truth in love. And, and typically, we think of that in a corrective term. Oh, I need to go straighten this person out, so I need to go speak the truth in love to them. 
As I studied this passage, I had this big aha moment that I had never thought of before. And I think when you read down through this passage, the thing that you'll find is when you're living a life worthy of the calling that that has come to you through Jesus, that speaking the truth in love is normative behavior. It's the normal thing for a Christian to do. It's not corrective behavior. It's not language that's only used when you correct someone. It is, but it's not just that. The normal thing is for a follower of Jesus to speak truth in love. Truth without love is brutality. Love without truth is hypocrisy. As as we... As we grow, as we mature, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. Verse 16, from him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Love is the key that brings the body together and brings unity. Love unites. Selfishness is what divides us. You know, the, the word that talks about the body being joined together, in the, in the original language, it actually describes the shoulder joint. If you think about the way your shoulder works when it's supposed to, is that it's all, it's, it's all hooked in there together. It's there so that, that, so that your arm can do all kinds of things, all kinds of movement. It can throw a baseball or a football. It can uh, hit with a racket. It can scratch your back or move around. It can shake hands with someone when you're not in the middle of the COVID crisis. That joint keeps everything together, working together, so that, so that it can be used to amplify its action in, in crazy, crazy ways. That's how the church should function. So connected to each other that they're able to do things that they could never do by themselves. At the end of, of World War II in Germany, uh, after the war was done, W.A. Criswell, who was a preacher in Dallas, um, traveled there actually three different times to visit with Christians in Germany. In 1947, he went just a couple of years after the war, and what he discovered was that there, there weren't any church buildings that had all been bombed and destroyed, um, and that there was just this ragtag group of Christians that didn't have any place to meet, that they really were just a group of refugees that were united in Christ. When they worshiped, they sang in different languages. They, uh, they came together to, to, to just encourage each other. When he went back in 1950, that small group of Christians in Germany had, had, um, had, had built a building, a simple building where they could worship. And W.A. Criswell talked about being with them as they celebrated communion together. That he said that they held hands in a circle, and as they celebrated the Lord's Supper, they sang this hymn that we know, uh, if you've been around church a long time, you know this hymn. They sang, Blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love, the fellowship of kindred minds is like to that above. Criswell said, that when they sang the fourth stanza, it brought him to tears. We share our mutual woes and mutual burdens bear and often for each other flows 
sympathizing tear. They belonged to one body. They had one hope. There was unity even in the midst of all of their struggle. If the world's going to change, if the world is going to change, it will be because nations and states and cities and communities and churches and families and individuals change. It starts with you. It starts with me. Living out that calling that we've received from Jesus. In 1824, a young man named James Bonham enrolled at the University of South Carolina. He was, he was a strong-willed young man. He was a man of incredible conviction, even as a college student. In the fall of his senior year, not yet 22 years old, um, Bonham organized his fellow students into a protest over harsh attendance requirements and bad food in the college boarding house. I think that's crazy. 200 years ago, he launched this protest. This is how the world has changed. Bonham and the entire senior class of the University of South Carolina was expelled because of the protest. They followed his leadership. In 1835, just a few years later, Bonham wrote to Sam Houston, and he volunteered to join the Texas Calvary. He said that he was willing to serve without any kind of pay, without any kind of rations even for food. He would take care of everything. He just wanted to come and help defend Texas. In a matter of just a few weeks, he had received two promotions, and he was now a captain in the Texas Cavalry. He was defending the Alamo against the Mexican army. Bonham was the soldier who was sent out from the Alamo to try and gain help from outside the region to bring other soldiers in to defend the Alamo. Uh, he took the request and, and went to a commander who was, uh, who was many miles away. The commander said that he couldn't send troops and that Bonham was foolish to try and get a message back to the, to the Alamo, that it was going to be defeated by the Mexican army. Bonham, it said, listened to him, turned on his horse, and, ran, and rode his horse back to the Alamo through the Mexican army lines. Uh, on, May, May, on March 3rd, 1836, James Bonham died at the Alamo while manning one of the cannons in the Alamo's chapel. There's no painting or picture of Bonham that exists today. But if you go to the Alamo, even today, you would find outside of the Alamo a portrait of Bonham's nephew, Major James Bonham, with the following inscription on it. James Butler Bonham, no picture of him exists. This portrait is of his nephew, Major James Bonham, deceased, who greatly resembled his uncle. It is placed by the family that people may know the appearance of the man who died for freedom. No picture exists of Jesus either. But may we individually live lives worthy of the calling that he's given us. May we as a church experience the unity that comes from knowing and following Jesus so that the world can recognize the appearance of the one who died for their freedom. Let's pray. God, 
we so desperately want to live lives worthy of the calling that you've given us. And Lord, we can't do it on our own. We ask right now today that you would fill us in a fresh way with your presence, with your spirit, with a boldness and a conviction that we can live sold out for Jesus. And that as a church, we can experience unity like never before so that the world around us can see Jesus in us and be drawn to a God who loves them so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.